0: It's time, time, once again, for another thrilling episode of Mark, Mark out, out Radio. Of Markout Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned, though. Smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. Welcome to the show. After taking a week off, you don't need to know why. Believe me, you don't want to know why. Uh, welcome to episode 79 of Market Radio Goes Nitro from March 17, 1997, out of the Savannah Civic Center, Savannah, Georgia. Hosted by Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, Mike Today, and Bobby the Brain. Heen and I am, of course, your boy Dark Fox. And uh, this is Nitro's 40th win in a row with the ratings war that is a war with a 3.6 to Raw's 2.4. Both companies are up a tenth from last week. There are 5,413 in attendance with 4,397 paying to be there and a $50,000, well, $50,857 gate to be fucking accurate. Yeah, I know, Producer Boy, all right. Accuracy is key. Yeah, whatever. That's what I tell you, not the other way around. This is uh, the post-pay-per-view Nitro. It should have been a bump that uh, didn't happen. Um, What? Up a tenth is not a bump, Producer Boy. Shut the fuck up. The show kicks off recapping the last moments of Uncensored. So let's talk a little bit about that before we get into the show. Uncensored '97 had 9,295 in attendance, with 7,640 f- <laughs> paying to be there. 101 and $184,000, $184 gate at the Coliseum in North Charleston, North South Carolina. There were $250,000 pay-per-view buys, which beat Starcade from last year and would be their highest pay-per-view audience up until this point. I gave the pay for you 3.5 out of 5 um, The match just happened this way uh, There's a dark match of Ice Train Defeating um, <laughs> Max Muscle um, <laughs> No score, didn't get to see it Didn't want to see it uh, Dean Malenko defeats Eddie Guerrero To uh, get the United States Championship I gave that 4 out of 5 Ultimo Dragon with Sonny Oto Defeats Psychosis I gave that one 3.5 out of 5 Glacier defeats Mortis In the Battle of the Cartoon Superhero Karate Kids Two out of five. Buff Bagwell defeats Scotty Riggs in a strap match. Three out of five. Harlem Heat defeats the Public Enemy in a Texas Tornado match. I gave that four out of five. It was actually very good. Prince Aya defeats Rey Mysterio to retain the television championship. Two and a half out of five. And, uh, well, Jesus, here we go. The triangle, goofy-ass, shitty gimmick, weird, nonsense, bullshit match. Team NWO defeats Team Piper and Team WCW. Now, Team NWO consists of Hollywood Hogan, Randy Savage, Kevin Nash, and Scott Hall, with Dennis Rodman in their corner, sort of. They defeat Team Piper, which consists of Piper, Chris Benoit, Steve McMichael, and Jeff Jarrett, and Team WCW, which is Lex Luger, The Giant, and Scott Steiner. Um, Rick Steiner apparently had to go to the hospital. Now, they talked about this a little bit on Nitro tonight as well, so if you're re-watching this and you're trying to understand how Rick Center could have been in the hospital last night and yet competing on Nitro tonight and looking perfectly good, and even Tony remarks that his equilibrium is good, it's because it was bullshit. Rick did have to go to the hospital because his son got hurt. He just lied and said that his equilibrium was off and that he needed to go check Get himself checked out. Now, this will become part of a gimmick later as um, it kind of got out because wrestlers just don't keep secrets at all for each other, really. It's the 90s Uh that he indeed went to the hospital for his kid, which, listen... When you hear Eric bitch and moan about Vince and how Vince runs the WWF and how he never gives his di- guys dies off and if they do things like um, well for example when Ricky Steamboat wants to go spend some time with his family Vince motherfucks them right out of their deals or takes them off TV or fucks them out of matches after having arguably one of the best matches in wrestling history in WrestleMania 3. So anyways what ended up happening was that Eric Bischoff is every bit the piece of shit that Vince McMahon is or that he claims Vince McMahon is and so uh, he would also Punishes wrestlers if they took time off for their family. Because God knows Eric's not going to spend any time with his fucking kids, so uh, why would anybody else? Eliminations for this bullshit elimination match were uh, the giant uh, elim- eliminates himself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Jeff Jarrett eliminates gets eliminated by Kevin Nash. Over the top rope claws line for that one. Steve McMichael gets eliminated by Scott Hall. Uh, over the top rope Back body drop. Scott Sider gets eliminated by Kevin Nash. Just getting tossed over the top. Roddy Piper gets eliminated by Hogan over the top rope with uh, Dennis Rodman pulling the rope down. Now, they say that, but it was basically just a whip into the ropes that uh, Rodman did his thing on. Now, listen, that's a great gimmick. Uh, You know, I I don't care what anyone else has to say about it. That's a great gimmick. Uh, Chris Benoit gets eliminated by Hall and Nash over the top rope. Randy Savage gets eliminated by Lex Luger in the torture rack. Kevin Nash gets eliminated by Lex Luger going over the top rope. Scott Hall gets eliminated by Lex Luger in the torture rack. And Hogan eliminates Lex Luger by pinning him, which no one told us that that was a thing. I mean, the first time that the the torture rack gets somebody eliminated, you kind of just went, oh, I thought this was an over-the-top rope elimination match. I'm so confused. Why would I feel like that would be the... Oh, because Tony and fucking... Dusty said like eight times that you got to go over the top rope to be eliminated. Now after Savage taps out to the torture rack, the <laughs> he gets eliminated, then all of a sudden it's well, you know, it's uh, pinfalls and submissions as well. Oh, good. Hey, well, there you go. Changing things on the fly. Thank you very much. <laughs> Is an intellectual treat when you change things on the fly for your wrestling fans that are watching a wrestling show and trying to understand what's happening in the wrestling show but rules fuck rules anyways uh so hogan pins luger after rodman hits luger it well sorry after savage hits rodman or sorry savage hits luger in the head after rodman passes him a can of spray paint that he was like Really subtly hiding in his... Because, you know, when you're promoting a movie you did with Jean-Claude Van Damme that basically scored one of the lowest scores Rotten Tomatoes ever gives out, your acting credentials are definitely on point. Especially when you're outperforming Hogan in the fucking Hollywood arena. Anyways, let's get back to Nitro now. Since Hogan has won, the (laughs) W... The stipulation will be weird. So, here's the stipulation. Now, if, if Team NWO won which they did they get to challenge for any belt at any time ever unfortunately the only belt that they don't currently hold is the u.s belt and at no point has any nw wrestler said i want to challenge for the u.s belt not scott norton not fucking buff bagwell no one No one says, I want to challenge for the US title. No, they're perfectly happy with the world title, with the cruiserweight title, with the tag straps. There's also a women's title out there, but let's just not worry about that at all either, because, you know, we only seduced Medusa to come over here and throw the WWF women's championship belt in the garbage. So why would we do anything with that? So back to Nitro now. Tony's on a bump tonight as the show starts, and the production have changed the color of the font from that orange and yellow that we all know so well to green. So clever on St. Patty's Day. Oh, the 90s and the fucking technology that was available to you. I'm sure we won't get oversaturated with uh, St. Patty's Day references all night long. If this is your first time watching the show. That's the sarcastic voice. Tony lets us know that this is the second largest St. Patrick's Day celebration in the country next to New York City. Yeah, because apparently Boston and Chicago left the United States for today only. First match of the night is Ray Mysterio Jr. defeating Psychosis, two and a half out of five. Larry informs, has, <laughs> informs us that Tanay has told them that Psychosis has swallowed Mysterio around the world trying to prove that he's the better wrestler. I don't think that's how that works, even in wrestling. If you think you're the better wrestler... The challenger dogs you. Not the other way around. So how it should have been said was wherever Mysterio goes, psychosis follows to try to prove that he's the better wrestler. Not to say that he's absolutely the better wrestler. I, You know, wrestling logic doesn't even make sense when you try to explain it. It's just fucked in the head. We go backstage at one point during this match where Sonny Ono and an unmasked Ultimo Dragon who is just covering his face like this. I got a question. Just... Be honest with me, comment on YouTube or Twitch or wherever the fuck you are in chat today and comment and tell me, tell me please. Are you, it's not Dark Fox anymore, right? Yeah, uh, it's totally hidden. You, you couldn't tell at all this is me at all. Oh, by the way, Dragon was in front of a microphone. This is how he was fucking sitting. And don't get me wrong, I understand the facial hair might give you a clue or the fucking obnoxious voice might give it away, but that is not how you hide your face. What's so hard about putting the mask on and just Rey Mysterio just taking the fucking chin strap off? I just. How hard would it have been to put the fucking mask on when the fucking cameras went backstage? But of course, K Fabe, Eric Bischoff, Japanese wrestler. Eh. Anyways. They're going to call the Japanese commentary tonight on the website, and Pedro Morales and Miguel Alonso are going to do the commentary in Spanish. Now, looking back on this for our younger viewers, understand that this is when commentary in different languages wasn't available over the same signal. The entire cable signal was being used by the video and one audio stream most channels didn't even they didn't even have the ability to have that SAP deal going where you could listen to things in español but what what we're expecting what we're experiencing here is technology is actually opening the door to allow Japanese and Spanish play-by-play to be done on the website and don't get me wrong it was a great idea unfortunately it was delayed by a lot almost a minute delay so If you're watching the match, in Japanese, the match is over and they're doing a post-match promo on the ramp while they're still calling the action in the ring! There was no way to delay the video signal and there was no way to sync up the audio signal. So, listen, I understand the technology was fascinating and it was fun to play with it, but when when there's an almost one minute delay, hit pause. Maybe don't do it until the technology cut, catches up with you a little bit. Or, I don't know, maybe try to get a video delay in there somehow so that the audio can sync up if the technology's not <laughs> helping you. But, you know, it's WCW. It's the 90s. It's Eric Bischoff. And come on. Glorious. No, I will I will Oh, uh, thank you, Producer Boy. It was glorious. It was absolutely glorious. Anyways um <laughs> nowadays of course we take things for granted that there are some stations that are capable of broadcasting nearly a dozen audio streams and an HD image so i mean i get it technology has come far and yes looking back on the 90s and shitting on it is kind of unfair but i mean fuck off i'm gonna fucking make fun of them because it's awful <laughs> This was a decent wrestling match to start at the show, but it didn't live up to either of their potential at all. I mean, it got two and a half out of five because you know they hit all the buttons that you were looking for. It's just that there was nothing really all that. And don't get me wrong, I understand. I Rey Mysterio was in a pretty heavy duty match last night. You know he's probably feeling a little tired. But again, we're gonna cover. Excuse me. We're gonna cover this later. A wrestler's work week is Thursday through Monday, and what happens in those days is you wrestle pretty much every day, and the only difference between wrestling on TV or wrestling in a dark match at a house show is your ring gear, really, at the end of the day, because you still have to do something to get people to come back to the show again. You, technically speaking, can't half-ass it and then expect people to pay money to come and watch a fucking house show uh, if you're going to fucking half-ass it all the way. I mean, WWF WWE wrestlers nowadays don't do that anyways. They don't half-ass it. They've got to perform on house shows too. Otherwise, they get fucked out of their contracts. Anyways, after this, there's a Gene Rant promo with Arn Anderson. Gene, again, reinforcing this idea that New York has a huge Irish population. And now he's going to add St. Paul to the mix. I imagine that any East Coast city in the U.S. has a lot of Irish people in it, but the WWF and WCW war for the ratings means that WCW somehow can't acknowledge Chicago and Boston because they have stronger shows for WWF crowds. I, got, I just got a question, I, and again, I know in retrospect I'm fucking with you, but how do you expect to win over the crowds in Chicago and Boston if you pretend like they don't exist on your live fucking television show? You're basically saying New York is the only fucking big city in America that has an Irish population that has an Irish party on St. Patty's Day, even though Chicago literally dies their fucking river green. I just, I don't understand, and there are riots Every year in Chicago, even during COVID lockdown, on St. Paddy's Day, the riots will literally move from bar to bar. How can you (laughs) just say that New York uh, is the only place that a big Irish party is going on for this fucking day? I, Jesus Christ. Listen, if it was Columbus Day, fine, I get it, because New York's full of Italians, we understand. But fucking Irish, man, come on. Jesus Christ, I just, again, Eric Bischoff, I just, I don't understand, I, I gotta ask, I wonder how Kevin Sullivan, who's literally from Massachusetts, could sit there, yeah I did, I did, thank you, I did pronounce that correctly, I was worried about it, to be honest with you, but I did it, I'm not gonna try it again, cause I'll fuck it up now, but, How does Kevin Sullivan, who's from that area, not get pissed off when he sees this script going out? The fuck New York? Fuck New York. Honestly. (laughs) After this, DDP defeats Max Muscle. I gave that one and a half out of five. Tony recaps the heat between Savage and DDP from last night, and he and Kim's play-by-shoot. What? What? Oh, uh... Producer Boy wants to know uh, if I had that play-by. Well, I was 17 at the time. What the fuck do you think? I had a fucking subscription to it. Uh. You know, I, it's, before you get on my ass about having the playboy magazine subscription. when I'm 17 Uh, understand that a lot of us did it. And I had a subscription from the age of 16. I, uh, I understand by today's standards that is wrong, but fuck it. And by the way, I maintain the computer that you work on. I can see your search history. Exactly. Now, Kids, before the internet, we had nudie magazines. There's nothing really wrong with that. Just don't go full incel on me, all right? Just stay on this side where you can possibly get your dick touched by whoever it is you want to touch your dick, all right? Don't go full incel on me, all right? It's just never go full retard, never go full incel. Max Muscle, who was in a dark match last night, uh, looks like the kind of guy that Vince loves, except that he's got a rather large gut. Now... Someone throws a Slim Jim into the ring at this point, which distracts Max Muscle because protein is on the floor, and, uh, well, the ref definitely kicks it out of the ring before Max can grab it and eat it. DDP performs a fairly stiff splash, which he never really does, and Tony and Larry both comment that he never does them. This is followed quickly by a diamond cutter that finishes this deal of a jobber match really quick. Uh, yes, producer boy, I did see the confederate battle flag in the audience, and no, I don't give a fuck. If you want to celebrate your great-grandpappy losing, that's your fucking problem. I like it when people come with warning labels. Post-match is a rant promo with Gene and DDP. Gene is very disappointed with Liz, and he was ignoring the flare angle from the last year and the change to the NWO? She's been disappointing since the start of the 90s. Who the fuck are you kidding? Anyways, this is DDP's promo, not mine. DDP claims that Savage was born to be a chalk outline, which I thought was very clever. But of course, because this company is primarily based out of the South, he had to add that Savage is a dead man walking just so that everyone could understand what he was saying. Gene doesn't like that, though. Savage comes out. Well, Savage makes appearance in the crowd. He tries to put off the match. DDP won't have it. He charges into the crowd, chases Savage away. Pretty cool promo, despite the kayfabe-smashing way that this is getting traction. But overall, it's shaping up to be a very good feud, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of it, and this promo just puts it over a little bit more. After this, Conan and Hugh defeat The Renegade, and Joe Gomez, one out of five. God. Goddamn. now bischoff hall and nash come out before this match gets going and larry correctly points out that bischoff is not supposed to be here he's so edgy though he's gonna defy his own fucking programming gotta love eric bischoff tony announces that spring stampede will return for the first time since 1994 now let's let's briefly recap shall we wcw is trying to be more edgy and modern Naturally, that means that we're going to resurrect a shit-kicking hoedown of a pay-per-view. Why? No one knows. (laughs) Uh, Like everything, though, Eric defends this decision to this day, even though it flies in the face of everything that he claimed and claims to be trying to change and was trying to change since taking over WCW, which is to separate it and divorce it from the Southern Wrestling into a more competitive company with Vince. Now... To his credit, he did at one point try to blame the return of Spring Stampede on Sullivan. And this was just a couple of years ago on his fucking podcast. But of course, that didn't get over with his own fans. and No one was buying it and they buried him on it. So he switched gears to say that this pay-per-view is the longtime fan of the company wanted back. Bullshit. Couldn't come up with a cool new name. You've already got Hog Wild, which is another shit-kicking pay-per-view, but at least it plays into your biker wannabe gimmick. Which, by the way, um, for those of you that are watching The Dark Side of the Ring and and saw the Brian Pillman episode, which, by the way, if you haven't watched it, I really encourage you to go watch it. It's, it's the start of season three. Yeah, see, the start of th- Yeah, anyways. Excellent, excellent episode. I love, I just, I love the fact that Eric Bischoff is in denial that Brian Pillman worked him. I, to this day, he's in total pathetic denial. That Pillman just worked him like a tired old mule. Uh, they interviewed that old NFL coach of Pillman's. They interviewed his fucking, uh, his, 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 his widow. They interviewed his sister. Everyone agrees that Pillman was playing a mindfuck of a game and screwed Bischoff into giving him more money or giving him his outright release. Everyone except Bischoff acknowledges that Pillman worked him. Everyone. But of course, when you're Eric Bischoff and you've made a career out of being the smartest person in the room, it doesn't do well for your brand to be proven over and over and over again to be a Kendall idiot. Uh, and and if, if you even doubt that for one millisecond, understand that in about a year on this show, we're going to be talking about when Kevin Nash takes over as the head booker. Yeah. Kevin Nash, who's been in the business for about six years, seven years at this point, takes over as the booker with all of that vast knowledge. Even Kevin Nash will tell you that that was a bad idea. Now, at the time, you probably politicked for it. But in retrospect, I think everyone agrees that it was a terrible, terrible idea. Now, back to here. Um, This match was actually shaping up to be a good match. Not a great match, but a good match, even though Joe Gomez ate most of the beatdown from Hugh Morris. However, it lost a huge amount of points by having Renegade tag in, clear the ring, and then tag in Gomez and leap between the middle and top rope to the outside where he would then have a nap for a while, while in the ring, Gomez would get just beaten like a dead dog and just, oh my God, that fucking no laughing matter. He just laid there and took it. And then, oh Jesus, after the, (laughs) after the match, Renegade comes in to like check on his, you know, teammate and he's like questioning how the hell the top, how the hell the three count happened. Well, I don't know, sweetheart. It probably happened when you were fucking asleep. Now this might be the spot where you know, we all kind of joke and have fun with the Renegade being a wrestler, but I think this is the spot where the debate is now over. The Renegade is a fucking awful wrestler, and not just because he can't wrestle, and because he can't get the crowd into pretty much anything he does, but mostly because someone presented this to him as the go-home for the match, and he went, cool, sounds fun, let's do that. Now, whether it was an intentional spot or not, it was garbage. And it exposed the business as either a work or it exposed Renegade as a moron. Either way, it deserved a lower score than the one and a half out of five. But I feel bad because basically Joe Gomez had to job the entire match. Renegade basically didn't break a sweat, did his warrior thing, and then fucked off. Now, what I need to say about this is, In wrestling, there's this tradition of shaking hands with other wrestlers and refs. Now, the meaning of this handshake is this, if at any time your safety is in my hands, I will do right by you, meaning I won't try to hurt you. Now, there are many cases, of course, where wrestlers just completely ignore this. They shake their hands because it's tradition. They don't understand what it means. They don't give a fuck what it means. And then there are other wrestlers who just don't shake hands or wrestlers that just won't shake hands. Now, Going to the network for other things other than WCW uh, lately, but The Miz had a rather self-serving show on the network uh, about how he got kicked out of the locker room for a few months when he first arrived. However, he didn't go in to explain why he got kicked out of the locker room for the first few months after he arrived. He, for- he forgot to shake Undertaker's head. Now, if you were lucky enough, whether you're just you know, a wrestling fan or whether you're a wrestler who's finally made it to the WWE and you go into the locker room, there's basically three people you want to make sure sh- make sure you shake hands with. Vince, whoever the champion is at the time, and fucking Undertaker. This was a little test that Callaway used to pull with new guys. If he didn't stand up, he wouldn't stand out in the locker room. He'd just sit in his corner by his locker and just be sort of unassuming. You'd have to go search him out to shake his hand. And if you didn't, The punishment for everybody was getting kicked out of the locker room for a few months. It happened to Jim Neidhart, it happened to Kevin Nash, and it happened to Sid Vicious, too. Now, as much as I like The Miz as a wrestler, and he's a pretty entertaining reality show guy, too, but he can be a big fucking crybaby. No one was bullying him. He broke an unwritten rule. Now, he loves baseball, so he should know all about unwritten rules, But crying about bullying gets over these days, so the WWE is actually kind of smart to let him air this little bit of dirty laundry right now, especially with The Undertaker being so over with the entire universe at this point, and not just the WWE ones. Anyways, back to this train wreck of a match. Morris drags Gomez in so that Conan can stiff him, and then he gets his finisher in while Renegade has his little nap, like I mentioned, and... um. This is arguably the worst thing in wrestling that he did. I don't know if he shook hands backstage, but really, agreeing to this fucking go-home, just get out. You suck. There's no redeeming you at this point. You agreed to this fucking shit, and that's, that's a choice. <laughs> so that's probably the reason why he didn't wrestle evermore. Alright, match after this, is Dean Malenko is the champion defeating Scotty Riggs to retain the WCW United States Championship. I gave it 3 out of 5. Back from break, Tony recaps both Riggs and with Riggs' match with Bagwell and Malenko's match with Eddie, so it started off well. The match was actually really fantastic right up until the finish, which was fucking awful, and yes, it is worth losing two full points. Riggs wasn't nearly worked over enough to go for a garbage pin like that. Even in wrestling. Um, I know that there was a lot of matches in this card and they definitely needed more time to get to this point. So really Malenko's offense should have been sold harder so that Riggs would have looked a little more beat up and worn out to go for a fucking goofy leap over, hold on to the legs, kind of goofy ass pin. And by the way, Just in case watching the pin the first time wasn't bad enough for you, we're going to get a Valvoline slow-motion shitty replay of this that even Larry Zbysko struggles to put over. And Larry could fucking sell ice cream to a fucking Eskimo. Now, match after this, Lex Luger and the Giant defeats Knuckles, Nelson, and Tarantula. Zero point zero. Now, Giant is dialing back his use of the old baby oil. He's just a little bit shiny. Luger, of course, is glistening, and this is going to be a super jobber match, so it really doesn't matter. Now, I've actually heard of Tarantula, but I've never heard of Knuckles Nelson before, and I had to go look him up. Uh, basically, he's just a indie promotion worker in Savannah at the time. Uh, they both got zero entrance. Uh, Nelson appears to have landed improperly with the chokeslam, which... It's not hard to do, but not easy to do, but it's a pretty basic thing to fuck up because to sell a chokeslam, you basically just have to land on your shoulders and slap your hands on the mat. Whereas what happened with Nelson was he landed on basically what looks like the small of his fucking back and then his head snapped back and hit the ring. Now, I don't know if it was his back that he tweaked, if he bashed his tailbone into the wood that goes underneath the crash mats, or if he basically gave himself a stinger or knocked himself stupid, landing really poorly. Uh, they didn't use him again. After this, Gene does a rant promo with Luger and the Giant. Giant's uh, promo was odd and unintelligible, but fuck's sakes. Uh, Luger's was basically what would have happened if Nelson got a microphone in front of his face. He sounded like he just got dropped on his goddamn head. It, it, first of all, never shoot Luger up the nose. Uh, just as a note in retrospect to production, because it it's... Holy Fuck. He looks like a spitting image character when you do that. But anyways, his whole promo just made no sense whatsoever. Basically, at the end of the day, we're glad we've got Sting back. But what got there was a lot of subtle digs and innuendo and fuck yous all to get to the point where we're glad that Sting is back. So basically, we've learned nothing from Sting fucking off for a year. Uh, cool. Right on. That, that, that'll that go over really well. <laughs> Back from break, Tony recaps the Glacier Mortis match from last night in the battle of the cartoon karate gimmicks. We coming for you. Oh, we go, we go. Come on, man, why is that still in your soundboard? All right, the ultimate dragon defeats Bobby Eaton. I gave that two out of five. The Japanese commentary ends as Eaton gets no entrance to job out to the dragon, where Eaton can't even sell a flip from the top rope for the finish. And getting old in this business is not fun. <laughs> After this, we get an NWO in-ring promo. Hogan's part is short and sweet. Thank fuck. Savage agrees to the DDP match. Hogan hours suck. Yeah, well, that is true. Savage agrees to the DDP match. The Outsiders challenge the Einsteiners to a match at Spring Stampede. Hall gets hit in the head with a full cup of something. The promo took less time than the entrance actually did, which uh, was probably good for all of us. Oh right? We got a commercial break after this. (laughs) Well, actually it's the NW hotline that they're promoting this time. Now (laughs) let's just hit pause for a second. And again, we're going to take a little tangent in wrestling. Um, let's talk about the hotline gimmick for a second. Now Back before the internet was a resource for wrestling fans, there weren't very many smart... Well, the, then again, I guess the WWE Network is also a resource for smarks. Uh, there were, weren't were very many people that were privy to how the wrestling business worked. Uh, the ones that were called themselves smarks. Smart marks. Which sort of a misnomer, but whatever. Um, there were even less that knew how the companies were actually working day to day and who was moving from which company to which company. Now, these days it's harder and harder to pull off a surprise move in wrestling unless you're a company that no one watches anyways. And then you've got to promote the fuck out of having a name people know on TV there. But back in the nineties, there were anywhere between three and seven dirt sheets that I would consider somewhat reliable. These are basically rumor mills for the industry. They're not unlike sports. Other sports have writers. So it's not unlike that, except that they're sort of mixing writing and acting. So Um, yeah, I know there's always the joke that, you know, wrestling's fake, right? Well, yeah, it is, but so was fucking the Avengers. But what ends up happening is these dirt sheets, they find out all the little tidbits that were going on behind the scenes, sort of like our little retrospectives that we do here. Um, but hotlines at the time were running, Well, they did an excellent job, actually, of making money through these hotlines. Now, in 1994, for example, the WWF held a call-in vote with their 900 line to determine the winner of the Royal Rumble between Bret Hart and Lex Luger. Uh, There was this great little spot where you really couldn't tell from the camera angle whose feet touched first. And so that was their way of sort of driving up business. Didn't make a ton of money, but it made a bit of money. There were other instances where WWF did a decent job of using their nine hundred line, but WCW and ECW really used them a lot better. Um, there was more kayfabe breaking going on in WCW and ECW's um, nine hundred numbers. These were also intermixed with bullshit quizzes and interviews with wrestlers in character. But WCW's would average about five thousand a week in profit. Now Gene would get a big chunk of that, and he would pay Taney of course because he's the professor or whatever but the rest of it all went to wcw they were a useful piece of the company to generate some profit but they also sort of generated buzz around shows and everything else now arguably the best use of the 900 line for wcw was when in 1995 the rumors of rick flair dying started circulating all over the dirt sheets Now, WCW, of course, knew better, but they used their 900 line to announce that they had news of a 45-year-old former heavyweight champion that had died. And then they said, call the 900 number this week and we'll tell you who it is. Now, you'd call and you have to listen to five minutes of Gene Okerlund's bullshit before finding out that it was actually Jerry Blackwell that had died and he was a former AWA heavyweight tag champ. But the inference in their ads was that Flair had died, and so all the dirt sheets ran with the story that Flair was dead, without calling the 900 line or hitting up their contacts in these companies to verify this. Now, journalism has always kind of been this way. The first to break the story wins, I don't know, a trophy, and you know what those are worth in today's society. This is a moron's way of running a business, though, because being the first doesn't matter if you're wrong. You lose the trust of your audience. So, You gotta check your shit. Being first is only good if you're the first one that's right. You only get one chance to hold the crowd's attention, and then they fucking bail on you faster than what happens to CNN. Hour two kicks off with only Heenan looking professional at the announced positions. The fans chant Regal over the commentators, forcing Tane and Shivani to talk even louder since the production truck is useless. Jeff Jarrett and Steve Mongo McMichael defeat Alex Wright and Mark Starr gave that 2 out of 5. Starr is on his way out. He's a year removed from retiring due to back injury. He was always kind of a jobber, though amusingly enough, WCW at the time called them enhancement talent. He did form a tag team with Chris Canyon, who is now Mortis, called Men at Work, which were a shitty, shitty knockoff of the smoke and guns Billy and Bart gun in the WWF. Uh, They basically dressed the same way, minus the dusters, (laughs) but they came out with roadworks. You know what? Roadblock. They basically were a more attractive version of Roadblock. Anyways, as enhancement talent, you were mostly used as a training dummy at the WCW power plant, which... If you're just tuning in, was WW WCW's version of what the performance center is nowadays. We get another side by side with still images from uncensored. Thrilling stuff, guys. Thank you for the still images that I can barely see. Yet another fuck you to wrestling fans post-pay-per-view. As yes, is yet another jobber match of the night. As right, eat some offense. Tags in the fresh star who almost immediately gets himself into a figure four and taps out. Post-match, public enemy come out. There's some rubber trash can tossing, briefcase bashing, and then a brawl to the announce position where the horsemen chase off the public enemy. Then they go back to the ramp to have a promo with Gene. Now, Deborah runs the start and the end of the promo, which is almost like Eric knew that that people were going to be watching this in retrospect and tuning out Deborah or taking a piss break when she's speaking. So she's gone and started and ended the promo. Uh, she gets nothing but heat because it doesn't matter which fan it is. The cunty chick with the shrill voice will never get over. It's just annoying. And these guys have all either had girlfriends or dated girls who had a mother that had a voice like this and no one Thinks back on that time fondly. Ever. Anyways, Garrett's part of the promo was decent. Mongo hated the fact that the fans are booing his wife. Who gives a fuck what Mongo wants? In the ring, the horsemen are working well together, but promo-wise, they are still all over the place. Next, the golden voice bastard Lee Marshall calls in via the 1-800-COLLECT-ROAD report from next week's location for Nitro, Duluth, Minnesota. I had to look up the spelling of Duluth and Minnesota because I'm Canadian and can't spell either of those appropriately. He references Rainy Day Weasels that they tried to sing at the place that he's at. And um, they also tried Mr. Tambourine Weasels, but they didn't know the words. And then the production team lost the image of Lee Marshall mid-sentence. You know, Brain's burial of it was not very good either. But then again, this week, Lee Marshall's wasn't either. They can't all be gold, ladies and gentlemen. They can't all be gold. Scott Norton defeats Chavo Garrow Jr. after this. I gave that two and a half out of five. Norton is rocking new NWO-themed ring gear and will be leaving for a Japan trip to rep the NWO over there as they invade New Japan Pro Wrestling. Unfortunately, his ring gear looks like he has a tiny white pecker. And I don't mean you can see the outline of his dick and his tights. I mean, there's a white line going down the middle and then two white lines going down his, <laughs> down his legs and then a white line going to the back. So from the back, it kind of looks like he's wearing a thong. From the front, though, it looks like he has a tiny white dick. I'd show you a picture, but frankly, I'm worried about Twitter, Twitch pulling my shit down. Norton comes out claiming that Chavo is too small to face him, then repeats this a few times during the match. Chavo goes, does his part well of playing David versus the Goliath gimmick in this match, where the Goliath actually wins with a very impressive and damaging-looking powerbomb. I will say this for Norton. I know he's a stiff monkey, but that powerbomb on the way down, I thought he was going to put him right through the mat, and then when he hit the mat... I just, Chavo had to literally convulse to really sell the fact that it was really impactful. He was really quite gentle with him. And not just for Scott Norton, just in general. After this, we get a (laughs) Hodman, a rod a Hogan Rodman promo, and I don't even know what the fuck to say about that. I just, j- Jesus Christ. Can he produce a beer? Because he can't produce a website. So I'm just <laughs> <trying>. <laughs> the Outsiders, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, defeat the Bunkhouse Buck and Mike Enos to retain the WCW World Tag Team Championship. I gave up one out of five. Uh, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Six come out. They sing Bad Boys together in the ring, which is heartwarming. Uh but aside from this, the gimmick of being able to have a match whenever you want doesn't really even make sense, even in Kevin Sullivan's world. You are a big mark. Yeah, that's true. Enos just keeps getting fatter with <laughs> with his arms and chest getting bigger. It's the 90s, so lean bulking isn't a thing yet, but steroids are, and Enos has some gnarly fucking stretch mark right where his pec meets his shoulders. Holy shit! It looks like an old lady's legs. I'm sorry if you're an old lady, but god damn, Hall gets the pinfall over Enos, even though Nash and Bunkhouse Buck were the legal men in this match, and it's all over. Chris Benoit destroys Billy, Get- Billy Kidman. One out of five. The only really interesting thing to say about this match is that um, Kidman jobs out to the debut of the Crippler Crossface. So there's that. <laughs> Holy shit, that was loud. Post-match in-ring promo with Gene and Benoit. Flair comes down to the ring, but first Benoit cuts a promo that really should have been the end of the feud, but it won't be, of course. Flair gets on a stick and accuses Piper of dropping the ball at last night's Uncensored. Fair enough. After this, Rick Steiner and Scott Steiner fight Harlem Heat to a no contest. Now, this one I'd give 2 out of 5 as a match. It was shaping up to be a fairly decent match. However, it wasn't a match. It was an Eric Bischoff special, meaning it was a promo disguised as a match. However, I will rate the promo as four out of five because it was definitely an excellent promo. Michael Buffer costs a lot of money, but here he is on Nitro, wasting some of the <laughs> some of Eric's money he could be spending on enhancement talent that don't suck. I just I'm sorry. Uh, new ring gear for the Harlem Heat. Golden ring gear. And about five minutes into the match, the NWO come out to work over the Steiners and Harlem Heat for a while before Luger and the Giant come down. We have ourselves a Brook, as Tony will tell us. They clear the ring, and a firework goes off before Sting descends from the ceiling. Sting mounts the turnbuckle, points as bad at Hogan as the NWO back away. Hogan freaking out because Sting's pointing at him. I, I don't quite know why he'd be scared of that, but because he's sting Sting like numerous times he sings job to him but whatever this nitro was an unmitigated dumpster fire just two out of five for the fucking show uh, it's and the thing is it's not even the wrestler's fault for the most part uh, almost every match was a job fest WCW has set themselves up as the antithesis to WWF's shitty formulaic shows of jobber matches but here we are again job match after job match I mean I get it There was a pay-per-view last night, but fuck off. That's not an excuse. These guys wrestle all weekend, all the time anyway. Having a house show and having a pay-per-view show like we talked earlier is only different in so much as you break out your best ring gear to be on TV. I don't know who fucked the bunk, but they fucking ran a train on her, and it's embarrassing what they put on TV. Again, the blame falls squarely on the shoulders of Eric and the booking staff. Period. You can have 11 matches in a two-hour show, but they're all sub-five minutes. No one's going home happy. You could have put Conan and Morris in a match with Luger and Giant and had a blow-off. At NWO run-in, it would have made sense. Fuck, with Conan and Morris, you could have had a horseman run-in. You could have had a public enemy run-in. It could have been any number of things. You didn't have to put both of those good teams with jobbers it could just be a blow-off. A Double DQ, someone DQs, who the fuck cares? Anything but jobbers over and over again. You're supposed to be different from the WWF. Now, this isn't all a shit show, of course. The Malenko-Riggs match and the Norton-Chavo match were good, and the end of the show was excellent. But it wasn't enough to pull the nose up on a totally garbage episode of Nitro. Not when you're dangerously close to WWF's numbers week to week. Yes, Nitro's still on a winning streak. Yes, that's impressive. It's especially impressive when they mail it in on Nitro after the last two fucking pay-per-views. Next week, Raw's going to go up in the ratings while Nitro drops. It'll be the closest margin since August of 95. This is no time to fuck around and produce garbage episodes of your flagship show. WWF is trying to get their shit together. Gone are the days where they draw a one in the ratings. They're drawing consistent twos and into the mid twos. But while their star is rising, so is WCW's. And it's just that theirs is rising a little bit faster on the heels of the NWO and Sting gimmicks. But now is not the time to take your fucking hand off the wheel. Holy shit. It was an awful fucking nitro. God damn. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.